Isn't that, isn't that true? The kids, I mean, real for the kids. Just, wow. That Christmas open your eyes, or in some of us who like to dress as Santa Claus. Okay? One of the things they didn't have in my day that I wish I had with my kids was Elf on the Shelf. Have you heard of that? The Elf on the Shelf that keeps moving around and you have to find it in the morning. And I'd be like, man, if I had that when I was a kid, because what was the, what's the Elf's job? Reports everything to who? Santa Claus. That's right. That was his job. Now, I was born and raised in New York City, and I was just talking to Paul a little bit. He's, uh, from, Santa came through the fire escape in New York. So that was, it was a little different uh, back then in, in my day. What else do you like about the holidays? Family. You get a day off. You get a day off with family. People are more polite. And it's true. They're in the Christmas spirit along that line. What do you not like about the holiday? The commercialism. Yeah, the commercialism. That's true. It's just everything is so... It's about buy, 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 buy when you don't have the money to buy. I give my three kids a hard time. They're now 25, 22, and 20. And they're like, Dad, what are we getting for Christmas? I'm like... It's not even your birthday. Why am I getting you anything? You're not even going to... Fine. I'll get each of you three gifts. Jesus only got three gifts. I'm going to give each of you three gifts. And the two kids are like, they're crying. We want more. And my youngest goes, fine. I'll take gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I said, he's listening. Besides, gold's down quite a bit. You want, you know, something else. So, all right, the commercial. What else do you not like about the holidays? Missing the love. Yeah, because it may not be the same. You may have someone that has passed away that you're going to miss, and it brings back memories. My brother, Edgar, passed away on Christmas Day. Okay? And it may be a situation, and so it's just different. Or you may be going through a separation, or you may know someone that's going through a divorce, or you may know someone that is divorced, and this is their first one. And the kids are all in different places. Or the kids just got married and now they're trying to figure out, who do I go with? Do I go with this in-law or that in-law? And you're like, it's nice, but now it's different. And when you go visit other families, you're like, I go there, but I really don't like my child's parents or my, the fiancé's parents or the boyfriends or the husbands. And so it's awkward, Right? Things aren't the same. Things have changed. And so what we have been talking about here in this class is a topic in the meantime. What do we do in the meantime? Let's see if I can get this to work. And we've been addressing this question. What do we do? I did turn it. They want to make sure I'm recording this. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when situation has occurred... You cannot fix it. You cannot change it. And there's three elements to it. We talked about this two weeks ago. It's a new normal is created. Something has happened and it's now going to be completely different. You may be looking forward to the Christmas holidays and you find out you're getting laid off. You're losing your job. And it's like, well, that sucks. You know? 
And it may be your fault. It may not be your fault. It doesn't matter. You're now in a new normal. And what you also find out is you don't like it. Right? You are now in a situation that you do not like. We're not talking about a situation that you like. You just won the lottery. Hey, it's a new normal. Yeah, but you like it. We're talking about a situation that you don't like. And then finally, we're looking at nothing. It's not going to change anytime soon. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? You're in what is called the meantime moment. My first meantime moment for me occurred when at the age of 12. I was born and raised in New York City. The date was April 1st, 1972. And everybody know what April 1st means, right? Yeah. April Fool's, they probably jokes. My favorite joke was always to leave a note on my teacher's desk, on all my teacher's desks, and it would say, Mrs. Johnson, please, it's important that you call Mr. Lyon as soon as possible at 212-555-1212. And she would go to the other room, because she didn't have cell phones back then, and she'd get on the phone, she'd go, for those of you that may not remember the phones, hello, this is Mrs. Johnson, I got an emergency call from Mr. Lyon. And the person on the other end would say, this is the Bronx Zoo. And I hear this, brown. Because to me, that was one of my favorite April Fool's jokes. But that night, my dad came home. And there's six of us in a four-bedroom apartment. My dad came home, and he worked three jobs. And he came home. And, of course, we all hung out together. And then it came 10 o'clock at night on a Thursday night. And it was a Thursday night because that's when Dean Martin was on. Anybody remember Dean Martin? The Martin Show. And I went to bed. I don't know how long I fell asleep. I don't know how long it was. All I remember was being violently woken up by my pillow being shoved out of my, from under my head. And I was like, what? What the heck is that? And then I remember one of my brother, my brother Stephen, coming in, sitting on the bed crying. And I was like, what? And my brother goes, Daddy's dead. And I thought, dude, that's a cruel April joke. You're kidding. And so I got up and I walked down to my bedroom. There was three of us in our bedroom. I walked down to my bedroom, looked down the hall, and there down the hall was my dad on the floor, my mom crying, and my brother holding her. And I thought, snap. Hmm. And I looked at that situation and I thought, well... He worked three jobs. He's really tired. I guess I'll just see him in heaven. I don't know why I thought that. I was 12 years old. But I went back to bed and I laid in bed and I prayed, God, may this all be a dream. I hope this is not real. And I woke up the next morning and I was in a meantime moment where a new normal was created. I did not like it. And I knew it was never going to change. And there are times where my adult self, my current present self, would go back to my past self, sit down on the bed and say, now before you get ready to go on this huge journey that's going to change your life forever, let me tell you one thing you need to know. And we discussed this two weeks ago. What you need to know, young me, is this. And this is what we talked about last week. God... God is not absent, apathetic, or angry with you. 
Which I then replied, yeah, but. Right? We've all been there. Yeah, but. It's my fault because I always bought him cigarettes on Father's Day because that's what he wanted. Yeah, but. If God could have stopped this, why didn't he? Yeah, but. And all these things. And my future self would go back to my present self, sit there and say, look, it's going to be hard for you to understand, but you have to remember God is not absent, apathetic, or angry with you. God loves you. Because Jesus, if he died for you, that means he's what? He's what? He's for you. And it will take time to work through this, but you need to believe. Yeah, but what if I think it's my fault? What if it was my fault? Maybe the reason why I'm spending a different Christmas is because I had an affair. Maybe the reason I'm spending a different Christmas is because of something that I did. It does not matter, God loves you, and he is not absent, apathetic, or angry with you. Do you remember the story we looked at two weeks ago? The life of John the Baptist, remember that? Where Jesus said, yeah, he's going through a difficult time, he's going through a meantime moment, he's not going to get out of it, but I love him. And so, my past self would look at my future self and said, I I think I get it. I know it's going to take time for me to get my arms around it and wrestle with it. I know that because I'm going through a meantime moment, God is not angry, apathetic, or absent. What's the next point? What's the next thing I need to know? And my future self, my current present self, would look at my past self and say, I first got to tell the Heartland Church the second point. And my past self would get, what? I said, dude, I'll be right back. It'll only take a second. But i got about 30 minutes left to talk to you guys. So open your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I've had people say to me before, yeah, but... Is there a difference between God causing something to happen versus permitting it? Yeah, but did God cause it? Did he permit it? Which is it? And I know we wrestle with that question. How many wrestle with that question? Okay, it's just me, I know. We're going to talk about that question next week. Okay? But what I want to look at right now is just kind of, I want to look at what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, the Apostle Paul was one of the greatest men of faith that we know of, right? How many know children who are named after the Apostle Paul? People who are named Paul because of the Apostle Paul, yeah. He's, he was an incredible man, but he wasn't always that way. That in fact, there was a time he did not like Christians. And if you're visiting here this morning, you go, I really don't like Christians. You get along with the Apostle Paul or Saul of Tarsus. He didn't like Christians either. The Apostle Paul never met Jesus while Jesus was on the earth. The Apostle Paul never saw the resurrected body while Jesus was on the earth, nor did he see the ascension. The Apostle Paul is kind of like us in that, in that regard, right? And so here is the Apostle Paul. He is the greatest man of faith, but yet he faced a meantime moment where it was a very difficult situation in his life. And I want us to look at how he dealt with it 
so that it would help us as we are dealing with our own meantime moment, or if we know somebody who's dealing with a meantime moment, or if you're not dealing with a meantime moment, you will be at some point. So, in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, second part is verse 7, Paul writes, There was given me, he begins simply, there was given to me. The word given there is a positive word. It is a word that is used for giving like a Christmas gift or an anniversary gift or a birthday gift. Paul says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. And I'm like, that's kind of a bad choice of words given to me. Wouldn't it be there was a curse there was a terrible situation. But he says, no, 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 hold on. We haven't gotten to the point yet. But there was given to me a thorn. Anybody ever get a thorn stuck in them? Okay. Or I like to say more, kind of like a splinter. He said, there was given to me a thorn, something very, very painful. A messenger of Satan. And then what's the next statement he makes? To what? Torment me. The word torment means literally to beat and beat and beat and beat. And I'm like, Paul, I think you're confused. I mean, you're saying that was given to you a good gift that just kept beating the snot out of you. Paul goes, wait, hold on, you're, you're jumping ahead. Just beating you up. You ever felt that way before in your situation? Something happened, and that situation kept pounding on you day after day after day. But Paul, you're the most strongest guy I know in faith. And so what does Paul do? What is it says he does? He said, I what? I prayed. Oh, at least he's human, right? What do you think he said in his prayer? God, please take it away. Now, it says he said, how many times did he pray? Three times. This was not, he prayed Sunday morning, got no answer. He prayed Sunday night, got no answer. He prayed Monday morning and was like, okay, fine. But here he said he prayed like a season of prayer where he was pleading with God, God, I can't go through this. You've got to help me. I would be more effective if you just take this away. And God's first response was silence. And then he just said, all right, I'm just going to keep on going. And then he came to the situation again in a season of life. He said, God... I can't do this. I, please take this away. Whatever it is, take it away. Silence. Now, there's a lot of theories of what this thorn in the flesh was. Okay? What are some of the theories about this thorn in the flesh? What some people think it was. Some say his, he is basically, literally, almost blind. Just, just He could not see. Okay, what else is another theory? Yes. Yeah. 
Okay? Some say it was had to do with a temptation along that line that he constantly had to deal with over and over again. Some thought it was kind of because he got stoned a lot. It was his appearance. And when I mean stoned, I don't mean smoking weed. I mean literally stoned, okay? He was stoned and his appearance was so... Oh, Paul, I like listening to you, but dude, I can't look at you. Some said that because of of epilepsy or because of a physical ailment, he really was poor at speaking. Okay? Whatever the thorn in the flesh is, the characteristics of this meantime moment is that it was painful, it was humiliating, and it was debilitating. You ever been there before? And at first, he doesn't see it as a gift. At first, he sees it as a hindrance. At first, he sees, God, why are you putting me through this? God, what are you doing? Please take it away. And I think, whew, at least he was human. <laughs> at least he's kind of like what? He's kind of like me in my meantime moments. And then something happens. Finally, God answers him. And maybe you're sitting in your situation. You're thinking, God, please answer me. Please talk to me. Please tell me something. Now, for me, all I ask of God, if you really do speak to me, do it in front of other people so I'm not thinking I'm out of my mind or I don't wet the bed. Right? He says, and it's in red letters, so the most give the impression that it was Christ talking to him, says, but God, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And some some times you could even reverse it where it says, My power is sufficient for you, for my grace is made perfect in weakness. What do you think God, what do you think Jesus is trying to communicate to Paul? What is he saying? He's saying, give up yourself. It's not all about you. My God, I'm hurting here. Don't you care, remember? I am not absent, apathetic, or angry with you. I love you. What is this? What do you think he's saying? What would would this mean to you in your meantime moment? What is God saying? What is Christ saying? That's not the American way, right? Be weak, I can be strong for you. Good. Yes. I will join you in this and work this out for you. Okay? Anyone else? Yes. God, why is this happening to me? Bad things do happen to good people. And there's something behind it. You may not know what it is. But there's something behind it. 
But did God cause it? Did He permit it? And what? That's next week. Don't jump ahead of me. So for him, this situation, there was a purpose behind it. Right? Wait a minute, Apostle Paul conceded? A great man of faith conceded? In his own words, right? Thank God we don't have to deal with that here, right? With our surpassing knowledge and understanding. We don't have to deal with that here. What God is beginning to say is, Paul, there is a purpose and a promise with every meantime moment. For Paul, he knew the purpose. For us, we don't know the purpose, right? We have no clue what the purpose is. Sometimes we do, most of the times we don't. And when will we find out that purpose? When will we find out the purpose? When we get to heaven. And go, oh, that's why. Oh, you mean you really didn't mean that to happen? But yet, you know, oh, oh, I, oh. So most of the time, we won't know what the purpose is. Why I had to go through the death of my father. Why I had to go through this divorce. Or why I couldn't control these. Why, why, why. A lot of times, we won't know the purpose. But there is a what? Promise. And what's the promise? My love for you will help you to get through it. Yes. That's an excellent point because, and we were just talking about this earlier on. Isn't it true 200 years ago you had no clue what other people were going through, right? No clue at all. Today, you're comparing what you're going through with everybody else. Why am I going through that when they're not? Why can't I have the kids they have? And why can't I have the spouse they have or the money they have or the looks they have? or the? Because of the comparison, we're constantly comparing ourselves to everyone else. And we think, God, you don't care. And God says, don't compare yourself to everyone. I love you. Then why am I going through this? There's a purpose behind it. What's the purpose? We may not figure it out here. But there's a promise. The promise is my grace, my love for you is all you need to help you to manage this situation. But God, if you love me, you'll take this problem what? You'll take it away. And Paul began to go, you know what? There's a purpose behind it and there's a promise that God's love for me will help me to do it. He's not angry, apathetic, or absent in my situation. And so Paul begins to look, maybe... I wouldn't wish this on anybody, but maybe God can use this in a way. And so Paul begins to think about now, so what's, what, what is Paul's response? Look what he does. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Therefore, I'm going to do what? 
What does Paul say he's now going to do? Therefore, I'm going to... I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to own it. Or as we used to say with our dog, I'm going to roll around in it. Right? But that's not the American way. I'm going to talk. I'm going to own it. When somebody says, Paul, is this really true? I'm going to say, yes, it is. And let me tell you what God's doing through this situation. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to lie about it. I'm going to talk about it. Some people instead are just going to run away from it. They're going to turn to alcohol or turn to drugs or turn to sex or turn to work and work it out and not even have to think about it or deal with it. Paul says, I'm going to tell you, Paul, is it true you have this problem? Yes, I do have this problem. As a matter of fact, let me tell you how God is helping me deal with this. And I thought, wow. That is not what we do in in our Christian community. We hide it, don't talk about it. We're ashamed of it, and therefore we don't embrace it. And so I began to learn this lesson for me. Embracing your inability is the prerequisite to experiencing Christ's ability. If you don't own the struggle you're in, whether it's your fault or not, you will not experience Christ's love and ability. Because you're hiding it. And to which we say, but you can't handle the truth. Right? If you really knew... Last week we had a special speaker come in and talked about the need for community. And this is so true. We need to build a community where we can talk about what we're going through, whether it's our fault or not, so we can embrace it and admit it, and say, but let me tell you how the grace of God is helping me deal with it. Do I get an amen? Right? We need that. And I'm not talking about going forward. I'm talking about creating a community where we can be honest about what we're going through. It's so funny when I start talking to newlyweds after the ninth or tenth month, and I say, oh yeah, ninth or tenth month, I thought about getting a divorce. They're like, you did? I mean, that's terrible. You, you thought about that? Why? Because, man, it's tough when you wake up next to somebody, you look over and you go, i got to live with this for the rest of my life? <laughs> Can I be honest with somebody? Right? And it amazed me that I saw people, I saw Christians conf- confessing their struggles to some non-Christian at a bar versus being able to share honestly with one another. And I asked that Christian, I said, how can you share with this non-Christian what you're struggling with? Well, because they won't judge me. And they will even look at me and say, you need to stop that. They'll even look at me and say, man, I'm sorry you're going through that. And it's like, holy cow. We need to create a community where we can be honest and not judgmental. Yeah, but we're supposed to be perfect. I... (laughs) I remember when I first became a Christian and I came out of the water and I went to church and they were like, oh, you're a Christian now? Good luck. What? Yeah, now the hard part begins. Keeping it. Holding on to it. Be that you better be perfect. And it was like, oh my gosh. My son, 
in the eighth grade, and I've shared this story before, but I, struggling a lot with drugs, alcohol, everything there is, me struggling not being a good parent and messing up and all that kind of stuff. And and I remember he called one Wednesday night and says, I'm going to this church. And I was like, yeah, go. It's one of the largest churches in Johnson County. They have 1,500 there on Wednesday night for youth group. 1,500 kids. I said, go. I don't care. Go. Got a call 20 minutes later. Dad, can you pick me up? I thought, wow, that was quick. I said, yeah, I'll come pick you up. And I'm driving through the campus, a huge campus. And I'm driving through the campus. And I come to the church. And I look along the wall of the church. And there's four teenagers and three cops. And they're frisking them. And one of them's my son. So I rolled down my window. I said, hey, can I have that one? And he goes, yeah, he's clean. And he gets in the van. And he says, and I said to him, son, what happened? He says, oh, they accused my friends of trying to sell marijuana to some of those kids. Which I'm thinking to myself, probably true. And I looked at him and said, but with all you're struggling with, the fact that, first of all, they have security here shows that they care about the kids' safety, right? But with all you're struggling with, with everything you're going through and the anger issues you're dealing with, you felt comfortable coming here? He goes, yeah. They don't judge me for what I'm going through. And I like their message. And I thought, that's how it should be. And he was not accepted in my youth, in the youth group I was a part of, the church was a part of, because he had problems. And I didn't want other kids. I understand parents, right? I don't want kids with problems dealing with problems. But we need to create a community that no matter what meantime moment you're struggling with, you can come here and be honest without being judged. Even if it's your fault. Because God still loves you. No single parent makes the decision, I want to be a single parent and get pregnant. It doesn't matter whose fault it is. I'm going to talk about that next week. All that matters is you need to know that God loves you. He's not angry, apathetic. You are going through a meantime moment, whether it's your fault or not. And that maybe you now have an opportunity to look at it as a gift with a purpose and a what? Promise. You may not know what the purpose is, but you know the promise. My grace My power is sufficient for you. So now I can boast. I can talk about it. I can share about it. I can be involved in a community where I can be honest with what I am going through. Isn't that what Paul is saying? And you go, wow. Thoughts, comments. You're like, oh man, that's a lot. Listen to my past self. Go like, you're blowing my mind, dude. Yes.
let me start out by answering first. No one intentionally starts that way. I mean, we want to put our best foot forward. And if you know your kids, first they think you're God and then they realize your weaknesses and now they use it against you. Right? And that's kind of normal. But part of the problem was because in our American culture we are to fix and we are to make things right and we are to pull ourselves by the bootstraps and we just don't talk about our problems. But when you are going through a meantime moment, the most important thing is you've got to have someone to talk to about it. And the reality is you don't want anyone to fix it. You just need somebody to what? Listen. Because the goal in the churches in the past was to become perfect, but we begin to realize nobody can be perfect in a cursed and fallen world. All we can try to do is to be mature, and one of the best ways for me to be mature is to deal with my situation in a mature way, not to run away from it, not to turn to drugs, not to turn to alcohol, not to turn to sex, not to quit on God, but to really do the right thing. That takes time. People do that on their own process. So just like a teenage, when my kids realized I wasn't perfect, and they used it against me and rebelled and all this kind of stuff, I realized I had to share my struggles with them so they realized that I'm in the same boat as you are. And I think that's where a mature church is willing to turn around and say, there is nobody here who is sinless. There is nobody here who's not perf- who's perfect. We're just trying to do the best we can in a bad situation and make wise choices, right? We do that when we know we're loved by God. Is it easy? Nope. It's hard. Paul did not realize this was a gift until later on, what he was going through. But then he began to realize, you know what? I don't wish this on anybody, but God can use my situation for good If I begin to look at it as a gift from him with a purpose and a promise. Any other thoughts or comments? Go ahead. And there's some truth to that, but you notice what Paul says, I'm going to boast about it. I'm going to brag about it. Yeah, I, you know what? I messed up my marriage. I screwed up. And here's how God's going to help, has helped me to deal with that. Until I embrace my inability, I will not be able to experience the grace of God that is there for me to manage it. Now, that is true. There are some things I would not tell you because you can't handle the truth. Right? But there, and we're going to learn in the other lessons, there are key people, which is why we need diversity. There are key people that when you look at them and they share their problem, you know, I got it. I've been through it. And there's other people, you've been, you tell me you struggled with drugs as a kid, I'm like, I have no clue. I, that was not my issue. Can't help you there. And we're going to see later on, one of the reasons we need a diverse body of people, we need everyone that's had every experience, because not everyone has the same experience. But somebody that had that experience and made it through can look at you in the eye and say, I've been there. I know. I had an abusive father. I was abused as a child. I know what you're going through. And I'm here to tell you, you can get through it 
because I got through it. But if we're all the same, we can't meet the needs of the community. It makes sense? So, but we need to find a small community, which is why I'm all for small groups where you can develop the relationship, where you can say, I need to talk to you. I need to tell you this. But then it comes a point where I can tell you anything because I can tell you, I'm going to boast about it. I'm going to tell you, this is where I messed up and here's how God has helped me. And then notice what else Paul says. He says, and if you've never read the Bible before and you think the Bible is just kind of a joke, nobody can make this up. Notice what he says in verse 10. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I'm like, wow. When I am weak, then I am strong. And so Paul shows us that the second step to moving forward, the second step is to start, you don't start right away, but to begin to see what you are going through, the loss of a job, the loss of a marriage, the loss of a child, the loss, just to begin, maybe there is a purpose and a promise behind this. We may not know what the purpose is in this life, but we definitely know what the promise is. Okay? And some of us, in our situation, we have a choice, and nobody can force you to make that choice, but you can say, okay, in this situation, I have a choice. I can continue to pray to God to fix it, change it, you know, do something. But when I get this no, I have a choice to change my attitude and start looking at it. Okay, God, help me through this. Because I know you've given me a promise and somehow there's going to be a purpose behind this. Help me to go through this. But it takes a choice. When I was um, 14, a lot happened after those two years of uh, my dad passing away. I was sitting in a bedroom and a half apartment. There were six of us. That's just New York for you. And I'm watching TV, and I was so angry at God. I didn't like where I was living. I didn't like the situation. I didn't like what my brothers were going through. I didn't like what I was going through. Have you ever been there? And I was watching the 10 o'clock news, and on the news came, and here's a special report, 1601 University Avenue in the Bronx, the building I lived in for 12 of the 14 years of my life, just exploded, many died, and many are gone in a huge fire that the landlord did because he got tired of rent control. And I remember thinking that, I was like, all right, God, whatever you say, man, you're in charge. I have no idea. Now, I still don't understand. I'm not saying, well, God caused your dad to die, so you do that. No, I'm not saying any of that. All I'm saying is at some point you begin to look at, okay, maybe what I'm going through God can use it for good. Maybe when I'm going through, there's a promise. I know there's a promise behind it. Maybe I'll figure out the purpose. But when you begin to go down that road, the healing process begins in your life. 
But if you avoid it, if you try to run away from it, and we all know people who have, if you try to quit on God, it does not make it better. I have never met anyone who says, I'm, and I quit on God 20 years ago, my life is so much better. <laughs> right? <laughs> never heard that, ever, in my life. But, when you begin to say, alright, I wouldn't wish this on any of you guys, but, God can turn this into a gift with a purpose and a promise. And I already have the promise. God loves me. And no matter how weak I am, His grace, His power will make up the difference. But i got to deal with this perfectly. No, you do not. But when you embrace it, and you talk about it, and you say, here's how God's starting to work through it. Here's, you know, God, you know... The healing process begins in your meantime moment. And it makes all the difference. Any other thoughts or comments? Yes. And that is an excellent point, because I don't think, it's not about getting specific about a situation, but it is embracing it and being honest. Now, I think people could walk up to Paul and say, Paul, I heard you're dealing with this problem. And Paul goes, yeah, I am. Let me tell you how God is helping me in this problem. Okay? But if we don't talk about it, if we don't share it, we cannot embrace the grace. Somebody once shared it this way. My suffering has now become my gold. My suffering has now become my gold. Because of what I've learned and what I've gone through. And I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But God can use it. With a purpose and a promise. We won't know all the purposes, and we can't figure out all of them because we can't, you know, just like my adult self going back to my youth self and trying to explain everything, and my 12-year-old self or my 14-year-old self goes, I have no clue what you're talking about. I know. So hold on to these two things. Hold on to the truth that God is not angry, apathetic, or absent in your life, that He loves you, and start choosing to look at your situation as having a purpose and a promise, and hold on to the promise, because you may not know what the purpose is. Make sense? Let's bow for prayer. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, for your love and your mercy and your grace. Father, you look down on us, you see our humanity, you see our struggle with good and evil, you see us under the curse, you see us as flesh and blood, and you love us, before we even loved ourselves. You love us in spite of what we're going through. And you you remind us that you're for us and you're not against us. Father, we're all going through a meantime moment. Some are just getting over one. Some are beginning ones. And we just want to thank you 
for not giving up on us when we've given up on ourselves. We want to thank you for forgiving us of our sins. We want to thank you for constantly coming to our rescue when we don't even deserve it. But also that when we're in the deepest pits, that we're not alone. We thank you so much for our friendships and relationships that help us manage our meantime moment that we can confide and confess in and talk about what we've been going through. And Father, thank you for some of us. We've been through our meantime moment and we began and we now see how there was a purpose and a promise. But the promise, Lord, the promise that you are for us and not against us, the promise that you're here to help us through this bad situation, the promise that you're preparing a better place for us, helps us to manage this difficult time. And for the Apostle Paul, it was going to be permanent. His situation was never going to change. And yet, he can boast and brag about it and how you're working through it. And Father, we want to get to that point. And we know it takes time. And we're also thankful that you're so patient with us. Thank you for the fellowship here and the relationships here and for those friendships we have that may not be a part of this community, but a part of other communities that help us to look to you. And we hold on to the great promise because of what you did through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we celebrate the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that makes all the promises possible in him. And all of God's people say, Amen. Have a great week. Have a great day of uh, worship. And I will be in the fellowship hall after worship.